Nick Walsh, this is your life. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. I'm so sorry. Nick, it's so I'm really pleased that you've agreed, agreed to this to this process. My my pleasure. Always happy to talk. It's shutting uh, me up. That's the challenge. Yeah. I, well, that's why I've one of the many reasons I've asked you to come on because you're you're very good at storytelling. No pressure. <laughs> you were about to launch into some lyrics of um, what was it? Colonel Bogey. Colonel Bogey. Are they repeatable? Are they recordable Absolutely for posterity? Not. Absolutely not. Good. I, they may or may not have been biologically correct, but they certainly weren't complementary to the high command of the Nazi regime. <laughs> Well, let's leave it there then, because, uh, you know, in the future, in the future, well, I, one of the things I said to Kira was it'd be really nice for you to, no doubt, in the future, have a record, because we, we keep photograph albums, don't we? And we keep, um, well, I don't anymore, actually. It's all on, it's all electronic, isn't it? But You uh, just hope that in future generations, the media will not be so different, that yes. your images will be un, un, unreachable. Yes, Yes, downloadable in this case, um, you know, because because we don't. I yeah. Anyway, anyway, Nick, uh, thank you very much for joining. Now, actually, this is quite apposite, isn't it? Because you have recently been elevated, have you not? Indeed. Well, I think I didn't move fast enough in <laughs> the direction, uh, but yes, I have. I have assumed the chair of second thoughts again. Is it not your second term? Well done. Yes, indeed. I did serve for a couple of years, oh, a decade or even maybe two decades ago. Um, I, I agreed to be deputy in order to um, ease the sort of passage from Ian to his successor and then his successor to whoever. And, but whoever turned out to be me anyway. So here I am. And um, Georgie Wood is your deputy now, isn't That's she? That's right, which is good because here's somebody of a totally different generation. Uh, hopefully will find her feet and be able to uh, be, you know, take over the chair or certainly take over more responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, actually, isn't it? I don't know. I'm, I'm, one doesn't want to repeat and record Georgie's age. I don't even know it. But of course, as you say, she's let's just say she's younger than you and me. You buy quite a margin. No offence. And it's probably, let me scratch my head and think, she's probably the youngest office holder of that, well, youngest deputy slash chair ever. I would think that is almost certainly true. Almost certainly, isn't it? Ian would know. But anyway, that is great because, uh, you know, the, 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 it's good having you and, you and Georgie there, isn't it? Because... Uh, experience and well i mean she's very experienced isn't she but but so are you anyway you're the subject of today maybe i'll i'll see if i can get georgie to record one of these and uh, we can talk about that but um so now what have what has induced you to step up to the plate again well i've been proud to be a member of second thoughts ever since i first discovered it and i would I, I realised there was a vacuum and um, I thought, well, OK, I will give it another shot. I didn't particularly enjoy my first term of office for a variety of reasons. We won't go there. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping for a slightly less troubled 
ride this time. But we are in difficult times and trying to get the group back into production uh, to do what was set up to do, just to make theatre. Mm. That's quite a challenge, um, but one that I think we all want to undertake and prove the pessimists wrong. I think, I think theatre is one activity that is pretty well unstoppable for a variety of reasons. Mm. Yes, I agree. And so is Second Thoughts, actually. So is Second Thoughts. Um, in your time in theatre, well, let's let's. I don't. I don't want for you to reveal your age necessarily, but when <laughs> at all, because you do look you're a lot younger than me, as indeed does pretty much anybody actually. But anyway, what, what, at what age did you start? Uh, uh, well, I, I mean, I got involved when I was a child because my father was a country vicar, and my mother, as the dutiful vicar's wife was drawn into organising all sorts of things, including various pageants, parades, entertainments, and so on. So um, it was an, a natural sort of step for me to get involved. Then at school, I um, aspired to acting. Um, very inspirational couple of directors I worked with on the school staff. Um, so I arrived at university all, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, going to conquer the world, and realised that actually there were a hell of a lot, far more talented actors um, at that particular university. If I say Oxford, you'll understand how competitive it was. So I thought, hmm, I'm never going to make it as an actor. But I sense there's a lack of technical staff, particularly production mm. management staff. Mm. So I specialised in that. I did a bit of lighting, a bit of stage management, a bit of set construction, um, production management, um, being reasonably numerate, despite being a classicist, was an advantage. Mm. Um, so that's sort of how it, it, it sort of took over my younger years. And then when I finally got to take my degree just about well if i tell you that <laughs> as well as being no no you're breaking up a bit uh, nick is breaking up a little bit but are we and the week before my finals i'm just I going to interrupt for a bit nick sorry to interrupt just say that you're what you froze a bit there so I, I, can, I can cut that out if I just do another okay. hand thing. It says my internet connection is unstable. Yes, they tend to be. It's weird, isn't it? It happens, it happens at strange times of the day. Just go yeah. back to, um, so if I say, uh, I say, uh, so, um, so you went, uh, you, 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 were, you were at university. How did, what was theatre like at university for you, Nick? Uh, well, I arrived all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed thinking, well, I made it big at school, not realising that, you know, big fish, little ponds, inverts when you get to university. And there are a lot of very, very talented actors and other talents around, a generation that's gone on to conquer not just theatre, but um, television as well. And very rapidly came to the conclusion that actually <laughs> I was never going to make it. But I spotted a gap in the market, which was on the technical side. 
So I did a bit of stage lighting, a bit of set construction, a um, bit of production management. The one thing I didn't do was wardrobe. Um, and then I got involved with the stage crew, the paid professional stage crew at the Oxford Playhouse mm. and had some lovely times there. Um, one or two good stories that come out of it, but hey, we'll come back to those if we have time. Oh, well, let's get into them now. Okay. In case your well, internet becomes unstable. Okay, well, we don't want instability. No. Um, the Oxford Playhouse at that time had just been refurbished with a four-stage lift that um, at its height became an extension of the acting area. At its bottom point became an orchestra pit and halfway between was the front three rows of the stalls. <laughs> now at that stage, Frank Hauser and Meadow Players were the resident company. Anybody who's been, who was in Oxford during the 50s, 60s or early 70s will recognize those names. And they had a show on stage, but they also wanted to rehearse their next show. So they decided that rather than pay the crew to strike the standing set to give them space to rehearse, they would use the four stage. Yeah, no problem, no problem at all. But <laughs> the four stage was actually in its middle position as the front three rows of the stalls with seats on it and carpet. So at nine o'clock every morning, Monday to Saturday, I used to come in with two others and we would strike the seats back and lift, it was on, on a, um, a lifting mechanism, lift the four stage up to a full stage level so it was ready for rehearsal. And then at five o'clock every evening, we would return and we would reverse the process and back it would go, the seats would go back on, and we would depart. Now, in the course of two weeks, we got pretty damn slick about that. And I think 12 minutes was our record to do the changeover. And this dates it rather because the technical manager, a lovely man, he had forgotten more than I have ever learned about the technical side of theater. He just stood to one side as we arrived and said, hey, here come the train robbers. <laughs> It does date a bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit, but it was it was good. It was good. Why um, did they call you the train robbers? <laughs> what? Why did they call you the train robbers? Because there had just been a famous robbery at uh, was it Biggleswade or Linslade or something that um, an armed gang had held up a, an express train with lots of um, uh, cash in it and made off with the loot, and it was it was. One of the phrases of the moment, the great train robbery. Oh, right. Not because you looked like Ronnie Biggs or anything. Or, or, uh... No, 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 no. It, it was the speed and ease with which ah, we put our money and ran. The alacrity of your, <laughs> of your uh, smash and grab raid. Student grants weren't enough even in those days. Ah, actually, we should remember with sadness, of course, somebody did die in that... Uh, Yes, so I'm making no, 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 no. Uh, I'm I'm making light of it, but but um, you know, uh, uh, but uh, I can imagine that. So yeah, that you, you're cutting a very kind of um, Ealing comedy dash there in your description, <laughs> Nick. Uh, yes. I'm sure you were very much more slick than that. Professional, but of course, health and safety was not yet codified. Ah, wasn't it? If we cut corners, nobody was there to wag a finger at us. Hmm. 
But I learned a heck of a lot because I worked um, on all aspects of staging. I was up in the, the flies. Um, I was up in the roof doing follow spots. Um, no, you name it, I did it. Mm, mm. Do you think that, do you, oh, just on a sidebar note to that, because that's an era before, I suspect, before risk assessments as such. Um, do you think there were many more accidents then and than, 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 than now, or, or perhaps we just don't, we didn't hear about um, them in those days so much? Well, the biggest single change that I've seen, although I haven't worked with the latter stages, is automation. Yeah. In other words, machinery yeah. that is doing the heavy lifting. Yes. When I was there, it, we had a certain number of counterweight bars where the weight of the scenery was counterbalanced with a number of removable um, iron weights mm -hmm. so that to make the, the, the scenery come in on cue was actually a one-handed job because it was so neatly balanced. Mm -hmm. But there were still certain flying bars that were on hemp sets. In other words, three ropes, long, middle, short. Mm. And you just had to build up some muscle and lift that and do it sort of hand over hand. Mm. And it was possible, of course, to lose the grip. Um, but they tended to be the bars that weren't used during a show. So instead, this will amuse you, they, used, they tended in the playhouse in those days to be used for the lighting rig. Now, if you think about it, hemp, no counterweight, and the heavy weight of lighting equipment, not a good mix. Not a good mix. And the fly gallery would suddenly become awfully deserted when <laughs> the elect shouted up they wanted a bar moving. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about the view from the fly gallery. It's the top bar is almost exactly the same height as would be a bar counter in a pub. So you stand with one elbow hmm. looking down, watching the show, and it's a lovely viewpoint. Particularly mm. mm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> if it's a, a period costume with lots of ladies, uh, you get the drift. Yes, indeed. Well, thank goodness my audience is very small and very broad-minded uh but uh so yes yes uh and you were there uh, how long were you at the playhouse then it was a beautiful theater isn't it? I, i've only been to it a few times but really well, really I, lovely I, I worked backstage there on and off for about three years okay. um up to and including i have to say the week before my finals Ah. And there's a pub right at the stage door called the Gloucester Arms, which used in those days, it wasn't frowned upon to, to drink while you were uh, in, engaged <laughs> gainfully on, on stage work. Good. And Good. I had a break between flying cues, so I nipped into the Glock, uh, sorry, Gloucester Arms Glock. Um, and as I was just lifting the glass to my lips, the door opened and in walked my tutor. Oh, gosh. Mercifully, I was on the hinge side of the door. So I downed the pint, put the glass back, and was out before the door shut. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Uh, yes. Swift athleticism. Agree, but I had a hell of a good time at Oxford. Yes, you must have done. So you were working part-time at the theatre while you were studying? 
I was working part time. I was nominally studying. Yes. <laughs> the other way around then. As <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. What a wonderful thing to do because, you know, students uh, have all kinds of jobs, don't they? There's bar, bar staff. And, but to actually work in a place you loved being in, it uh, must have been fantastic. Well, I went away to teach, <laughs> to teach <laughs> me <laughs> um, for a couple of years. And then I heard that there was a vacancy on the administrative side of the playhouse. And I got invited to interview and got the job. Now, in those days, the Playhouse was actually run by the university and it had established effectively two apprenticeships, one backstage on the technical side, one front of house on the administrative side. So I learnt theatre management from an amazing, terrifying woman who had trained with Marks and Spencer's then gone into theatre, worked with H.M. Tennant, the big West End producers, and all sorts of things. Oh, and she'd worked with Benjamin Britten with, uh, yes, exactly, uh, an English opera group and all of that. So she had forgotten more than I would ever learn. <laughs> and I, I did. I learned a hell of a lot. Mm. But most of all, she was prepared to challenge me. And I'd only been a couple of months in the job and was so green it wasn't true and she decided she was going away for the weekend and she broke this to me on I think of the Thursday she was going on the Friday and she said you'll be okay if something arises take a decision I don't care what it is but I will back you just take a decision brilliant absolutely brilliant of course, nothing did happen and no decisions were required, but but it was a it was a morale boost. Must have been, wasn't it? I mean, a that's a hacker. Lift. How old were you then? Quite young then, were you sort of twenties or something? Oh God, yes. Uh yeah, 23, 24. Reminds me of that line from the thick of it. I could forget one of the senior civil servants says to a, says to a, his junior, I'm often out of the conference. And if there are problems, solve those problems. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, it, you 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 have to learn. I mean, it's being chucked in the deep end, isn't it? I suppose, yeah, absolutely. But what a gamble you took, leaving a secure career in teaching to... Um... Well, yes, uh, but my subject was Latin. And as you know, it was already disappearing from the syllabus even back then. So I was on a hiding to nothing, really, long term. How exciting, though. For, that's I've talked about this with Amanda, that because that, 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 she... St- took similarly rewarded risks, I think. Um, but a lot of people, such as myself, squirrel themselves away in the public service and, uh, you know, don't take the leap into the professional world. And um, you say that Latin skills were uh, on the demise. And I think I uh, that is very sad, of course, but I think I agree with you. Um, well, but but um, the theatre skills are also the, the, very rarefied. The teaching of Latin was disappearing, but... What studying Latin and Greek taught me has stayed with me for life. Yes. And I don't just mean doing the crossword. It means actually an ability to analyse and then write, when when it was fashionable still to write, um, instructions that are sensible, logical, understandable, you know, all of those things. And that goes back to the classical education. 
Well, you're one of the very few people who will understand my my personal motto then, Quantum Illicanisest Infinastra, which is uh, it's, uh, held me in good stead. You said it so fast, I didn't understand. <laughs> quantum Quantum Illicanis Est Infinastra. What's the... <laughs> How much is that doggy in the window? Oh, God, I got the doggy in the window, but I haven't... I think it's the motto of St. Custard's in, uh, in uh, the Molesworth books. <laughs> yes, it, it sounds like it. Yes. yes. No, my actual school motto, uh, talking of Latin, because everything sounds better in Latin, doesn't it, of course? Like French with food, you know, morality and ethics sound much better in Latin. Well, my school motto was Nisi Dominus Frustra, without oh. God all is frustration. <laughs> or, or alternatively. Don't piss the teachers off. <laughs> yes, that's pretty. Or yes, or anybody in senior authority over you. <laughs> Which college did you go to in Oxford then, uh, Nick? Trinity. Oh gosh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that about your vicar um, parent, and I didn't know about your. I didn't know about Oxford either. Well, ah. in those, well, it still is one of the smallest colleges, um, which was great and beautiful, beautiful setting. Um, only marred by the physical presence next door of a Victorian monstrosity called Balliol. <laughs> there was a long, long uh, rivalry between the two institutions. Yeah. Trinity is very famous, of course, isn't it? A lot of very famous people have studied there. Including they? our current Prime Minister. I gather. <laughs> of course, he, no he, you and he would have just missed each other. Oh, by some by year, By um, a year or two. Uh, by uh, quite a few. In fact, I'd, I'd actually left the playhouse even before he arrived. Mm. Yeah, so um, very, yes, gosh, very rarefied. Did you not, were you not tempted by the academic life there? Because it must be very... No, uh... <clears throat> no. Um, it's, how can I describe it? Too parochial. Mm. There's something about theatre, particularly where, as a producing house, every three, four weeks you've got a new show, new cast, new product to sell. You know, there's constant movement, change, challenge. And if you're a receiving house, and I've I've run both, um, it's actually every week you've got a new show a new cast, mm-hmm. a new product to sell. So you have no time to slip into a rut. So it's, it, it keeps the old grey cells working. So, I'm sure it does. So how, how, what's the range of theatres? What kind of, what have you, have you, did you deliberately, I don't suppose you do kind of plan a the, theatrical career. And, no. and it, well, it but maybe back. those who have, but not me. No. Um, I stayed at Oxford Playhouse um, largely because um, Elizabeth Sweeting, this amazing woman, uh, was also seconded to the Arts Council in Australia for a couple of spells, and I stepped up to the plate while she was away. Mm. But then after six years, I went to a very different sort of theatre, uh, the Redgrave Theatre in Farnham, which had just been opened, um, little 300-seater theatre, which was still producing a new play every three weeks. 
right the way around the clock, you know, year round, and was selling every single seat. I mean, Farnham audiences were such that if you announced Nagatha Christie, you could guarantee that the Wednesday and Saturday matinees would sell out first, wow. followed by all the other evenings. Mm-hmm. Then the director, bless him, decided just to push the boat out a little bit from the shore. Now, we're talking uh, mid-1970s. Okay. By which time Tom Stoppard had gained some reputation as a playwright. Mm-hmm. So he decided to do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, his first major work, successful work. And they, the audience were shocked. They stayed away. We don't know it, we don't, therefore we don't like it. So it wasn't all plain sailing. So trying to educate the palate was difficult. What did people like then? Agatha Christie, that's Oh, right. Eggbourne, Christie, okay. Durbridge, um, Shaw... We could go, we, we, we could do Shakespeare, but anything of the later 20th century, forget it. Isn't that interesting? In the 70s, one thinks of the 70s as being quite a sort of, well. But, but the average age of that audience was scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of audience, you watch them come in and you pray, God, the fire alarm won't go off. <laughs> <laughs> Have a stretcher, a stretcher standing by. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Structure and some of it. But but we but we say this. But of course, this is the generation to which we p- both of us probably now belong. Um, and uh, or, yes. or are you or are you thinking even older than that? Because the, but the, the, that age group has always been very attracted to theatre. But retired people often are because the cliche is still true. I oh, think yeah. that oh, yeah. retired yes. people have more time and and possibly even these days more money. Um, because you look at you look at or just bring ourselves to the to the present uh for for you know the audiences that certainly that certainly that we attract in stratford on the amateur stage are uh demographically uh, you know of that age aren't they really yes yes our our age 60 plus i suppose i I don't know whether anyone's done any research on the age of these things but well um given that second thoughts offers a concessionary ticket price ah you can very quickly look at the ticket sales and mm. gain some sort of impression. I appreciate some will, either because they wish to give us more money or they're too proud to own up to their age, mm. will pay the full whack. And a lot of people are, aren't they? A lot of people over a concession yeah. age are very proud about not receiving any yeah. kind of handout. Yeah. So, but that's but but that also makes for an extremely knowledgeable audience, doesn't it? You know, and a very uh, uh, I think any audience that takes themselves to live theatre is 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 uh, one is grateful, you know, to, that they've bothered. Uh, people who party with money and come out of the house to see something, particularly of that age group, they've seen a lot, not only of theatre but of life. Yes, yes. Um, as soon as you go on stage, you are taking on a responsibility Mm. goes two ways. One is to the audience, as you've just said, and the other is to the playwright. Mm. Um, That's what makes it so exciting. And if I say dangerous, I don't mean physically, but Mm. there is something edgy about it. 
There really is. There really is. And that's uh, that's one of the things, isn't it? That's completely, you know, you can't, you can't, if you and I make a mistake during this, I can just edit it out. But of course, if you're live on stage, that's it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> the mistake. Like, like the early days of television when, when, you know, Zed cars went out live. Yes, it did. And Play for Today was live, wasn't it? Play for Today mm-hmm. it was live theatre. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Archer, all radio was live. A lot of radio was live, wasn't it? Yes, yes. But that that's what I, I thought. I find so wonderful about theatre because it, it's a mystical, almost a religious experience. Yes. You've got, yes. I, I describe them as the holy trinity of A's. Uh-huh. Actors, author, audience. Huh. We all have our role within that. We're all indispensable if it's going to work. And yes, there's a sort of mutual trust as well as dependency yes to make the performance work yes absolutely i couldn't agree more and uh it's very because one reads that theater you know in this country had its a lot of its origins were in the church weren't they and it sort of spilled out from the church and certainly very high church ceremonies have, have precisely that try that, that trinity don't they as well yes you know now if i can just digress for a moment my father was horrified when i changed from teaching mm. to theater mm. now i tried to explain that actually there was a connection between mm. what he did and i did mm. he would never wear it no. when i when i was working at the playhouse when i first made that change when his clerical colleague said, tell me about it. What's your boy doing these days? (laughs) Um, He would actually weasel out of it and say, oh, he's working for Oxford University. (laughs) Which is true, not weaseling out of anything. Technically true, but... Turned out to be true. It was a weasel. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? I wonder if that's changed now. I know you're Uh, very proud of of, of Amy and so on and what she's achieved. Oh, but, yes. Um, uh, so, but do you... Th- and, and, and her potential yet still to achieve. Indeed, indeed, indeed. But theatre, yes, I think that's right. I think my dad was actually the same. I never was never in it professionally, but uh, my dad was very uh, uh, mixed, had mixed feelings about uh, what we call amateur theatre, which I tend to, preco- to prefer calling public theatre, because amateur is very, has a very uh, well, negative association. Sense. If, if you study the employment rate of equity members, they can only be in it for the love. Absolutely. And that is what amateur means. Yes, it does. But it's, it has acquired this horrible connotation, though, doesn't it? You see, yeah. Somebody cocks up, you know, home decor, home decor or something in everyday yeah, well, life. You say, oh, what an amateur job. Or, oh, and it's used as an insult, isn't it? How amateurish. How amateurish. Well, well, amateur, that, which is very unfortunate. It, it, it is a really damning phrase. What is, sorry? Amdram. Yes, isn't it? Really is. And yet some of the achievements with minimal technical resources are astonishing. Completely. Completely. I was talking to Nick Lemessurier about this uh, a a while ago, in the last podcast, actually, with with, uh, Pam. And he was saying that that some of the best theatre he's ever seen was um, was at Playbox. Yes, yes. Yes, I agree. I, well I, agree. I agree with that. Now, of course, that is professionally run, but it, but it's but it's, you know, it's it's children. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I've always tried to do 
is to bring what I've learned from professional theatre and certainly, the, the, as it were, the management, the organisation into any non-professional show that I'm involved with. I think that's the least I can do. Mm. I succeed or not is another matter. But. And going, coming back to second thoughts then, your, your, your uh, chairpersonship of this, well, I, think, I think, can I, can I be supported to say chairman? Uh, I, I, it, it doesn't worry me, but I'm horrendously politically incorrect. At oh, I think our, both my both my listeners are <laughs> very comfortable with that, Nick. <laughs> uh, and um, yes, no. Well, uh, anyway, but 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 what's your what's your level of optimism? You're a very optimistic chap, I think. I've never known you're an absolute. I need, this is needs to be said on the record, really. But you're an absolute pleasure to to have on a production in any capacity, and you've both worked, you know, done done the technical side of things when I've when I've been involved, and also directed. And you're an absolute pleasure because you're so optimistic and and buoyant. And it must be absolutely awful. I, well, I know how it is when you direct things, and you're you're, 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 you're let's say three weeks swan. out. It's the swan image underneath. Swan, yes. <laughs> it's essential for a director, though, isn't it? Don't you think? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, the, the strategic loss of temper at a certain point in the rehearsal cycle is permitted. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've seen that from you. You didn't do, you didn't lose, you didn't do that in, uh, did, you, did you do that in, uh, in uh, the, in the um, chorus? Actually, the uh, chorus is behind no, me. I Let me just lift I my did. screen a bit here. There it is. There's chorus. No, no, I, I don't think I did. Um, no, you didn't. But sorry, I, you, I, I diverted you. You were going. You were talking about second thoughts. And... Well, no, yes. Yeah, so that, that, that I suppose the point, my point of saying that was was that I, no doubt you are you have an optimistic view of what is likely. You know that how second thoughts are going to fare. Um, you know, going forward, there's no reason why not. In fact, it should be a, it should be an even more exciting time. Do you think? Well, you, we've already talked about Georgie becoming deputy chair. Now that is an exciting and positive direction, and the work that Amanda did with Rogues and Vagabonds, the mm. music theatre group, in bringing on young talent and quite a number of our Second Thoughts uh, young members started with Rogues and Vagabonds. Now, that is a huge, big hope for the future. Definitely. Because otherwise, you know, us old farts are going to sort of do less and less and the whole thing will stagnate. But with the young people, Mm. the next generation, Mm. sort of pushing and shoving us and getting us out of the way Mm. because they want their turn, yes, Mm. great. Mm. Mm. And let's also, since we're th- t- talking um, young people and talking uh, um, chorus of disapproval, let's also, if we may, without being too maudlin about it, uh, record our sadness about uh, young Ollie, you know. And, uh, yes, we both that, was a, that was a great loss. Um, he was yeah, a lovely very- boy. Yeah, absolutely, wasn't he? Absolutely delightful, funny. Yeah. I didn't know him very well, but I, but in that production, I knew him. That's the only time I did know him. But he was so, 
you know, he, he, we didn't cross much on the stage either, but he was so optimistic himself and had such a yeah. great aura of friendliness and warmth yeah. and, and indefatigability. And uh, he, he very like you, actually, Nick, he had a very kind of positive and driven, uh, yet driven manner. Yeah. He, he has had a better singing voice than I ever had. Ah, now I didn't know. That's another new thing. And by the oh, way, okay. before we finish, we've got to get into the army as well. Because not many people may know, because ah, I've discovered right. during something or other, that you have an army background. Let's go there now, then. Tell us, tell okay. us about your military career there, Nick. Well, um, if you can. Yeah, no, no, I don't think any knowledge I have is <laughs> of any interest to anybody now. <laughs> um, but at uni, um, I actually divided my, if I say spare time, it actually should have been the time I should have studied, but hey, who's um, two ways. One was theatre. That's the obvious one, the one you already knew about. The other one, I joined the officers, uh, what is it, the officers training corps. Mm. And um, being the sort of guy I am, I joined the armoured corps section because they had ferret armoured cars that we could drive around the Oxfordshire countryside. <laughs> I was sharing the time that I should have been studying two ways, one theatre, the other the army. Um, and after uni, I joined a, a little known part of the British Army called the Royal Armoured Corps Pool of Officers, which was largely ex-short service commission officers and then the odd TA guy like me. And we acted as a sort of emergency reserve for regular regiments. So there I was, age whatever, 22, 23, um, suddenly in the uniform of a hussar. I mean, I don't mean the full dress, but as attached to the 13th, 18th Royal Hussars. And for the next 12, 15 years, I would spend three weeks every year in uniform, usually on a big field training exercise, um, either leading a troop of, of tanks or later on a reconnaissance troop or later still a slightly less um, energetic role as a, a watchkeeper in brigade headquarters. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. Mm. Largely a different mindset, but the discipline and the requirement to assess a situation and turn that assessment into a set of orders, instructions for other people, was actually an exercise that has proved invaluable ever since. Mm. Think how many occasions and in theatre or, or just your own personal life where you have to do that. Uh, it, it, it's a technique that's, there's no magic about it, but it's a discipline that is very, very helpful. I, yes, I suspect it is. My only brush with the military is has been in the RAF cadets when I was at school, but I never rose to rank, uh, nor, ah. nor nor continued with it to your level. I can so. just, if I could just one of one of the group, of, a group of people I met, which I would never otherwise have met, were expatriate Polish drivers mm -hmm. of the big anti tank transporters. Mm -hmm. And they'd stayed as a very odd sort of little sub-department in, in, in the British Army 
ever since 1945. Oh, right, yeah. And their knowledge and experience and their their history was absolutely fascinating. So mm-hmm. on a couple of occasions, I was lucky enough to be invited into their mess to share a beer with them out on exercise. And just as they were sitting at their feet listening, I learned more about Gosh. immediate post-war um, Europe than anywhere else. Gosh. When, when is this then? The 60s we were talking about? This would be the very end of the 60s, the early 70s. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the Polish troops were based here. I well, they obviously came over during the war and served with the Allied forces, and somehow enough of them managed to stay together. I suspect in Germany because all those big exercises were held in Germany, um, and became a sort of small Polish community within um, within Germany. Uh, and as part of BAOR, yeah, absolutely yeah, fascinating. fascinating, totally anomalous, totally unpublicized, but yes. very real. I think the there's a lot of, we won't bore people with the full thing, but of course Monte Cassino was the, was, the, was the major land engagement that the Polish army, having been liberated from Russia, um, they then went on to fight in all kinds of places, but Monte Cassino was the big, big loss uh, it was a victory but in terms of loss of life but i think also the polish army were involved in uh post-war operations in uh liberated holland and belgium i think yes yes you're absolutely right yeah so i think it was possibly and i and uh, because i've just been writing some pieces about this and i think there were some references to polish armor or rather you know polish military using armor any rate yeah um yes yeah, so of course the air force was was uh, very heavily uh, reliant on polish pilots as we know mm. but as you say not many people are aware of the polish ground forces that took place no no gone no. and of course they weren't allowed in the uh, victory the v uh, celebrations which was very sad it's a pretty murky part of uh, british history mm. anyway of several such Yes, but let us. I, I, sorry, I took us down there. But I, I, yes. So, do you think there've been? Do you think there are times when? Do you, I suppose uncontrolled. Let, let Let us count the ways. Let us count the number. So, you've been involved. You, you've worked professionally um, on the production side of theatres. Yeah. By my count, in this conversation, two professional theatres. But I suspect that that's that, that's not oh, the limit. Uh, well, th- three, three and a half. What was that? York Theatre Royal. Ah. I was general manager there or wow. for oh, 12 years, 13 years. Wow. You were general manager of the theatre? Yes. Good Lord. Uh, and the highlights, well, we did a lot of things that were good, but the one that I still smile with happy memories, we did the British premiere of the musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Oh, really? Which toured over a number of years around this country and Canada and then went into the West End. Wow. And it was quite something sitting in the Prince of Wales in the West End, seeing our show. Yes. 
Unfortunately, we opened at the, about the same, within a month of Les Mis, and it rather pulled the audiences. Bugger. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a fair-sized coup for your theatre, though, isn't it? Did you, did you book them, as it were? Is that how it works? Um, we created the production. Oh. We, we, we had um, a history, a tradition of doing one musical a year, and gradually... Uh, with a, an amazing director um we built up the scale of it we did we did salad days and then we went to greece and then you know so we we, we in, increased the sort of the the scale of it the ambition of it and eventually we said we're, we're going for broke we're you know we've done jesus christ superstar yeah fine oh, um, oh. we're going to do seven brides for some brothers never been seen on stage in europe huh it had exciting. one How exciting. prior states and failed. Um, we took it on <coughs> and changed it and, and did a very clever staging. And it worked. Um, so much so that it sold it out the first run. We revived it. And then a commercial management picked it up and toured it and eventually took it into the West End and then toured it again. And what, what I mean, what was that? So twelve, you were there twelve seasons, is that right? Yeah, yeah. How many shows a year, roughly? Uh, we well, in in the best times, we would do something like seven to ten repertory productions, including wow. an absolute blockbuster of a panto. We set up a panto, oh, in our second or third year there, with a particular dame and a team around him. And that dame has only just retired. His huh. name's Barry Taylor. And he became a legend. Um, and, and But basically, they organised chaos and pandemonium and all the rest of it, which is traditional pantomime, yes. um, sort of developed around him. The, well, so, so, in, so I can't do the mathematics on and, that very well. And, 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 and the other weeks of the year, we brought in touring productions gosh because you couldn't so afford to go dark we, i suppose could you really um we we would probably have a bit of time off in the midst of the summer but then we we realized we were missing a trick and we put on taking a 12-week summer period instead of doing four three-week productions, we decided that we'd lengthen that and do three four-week productions because with all the visitors coming through, our potential audience was constantly renewing itself. Mm. And therefore, you know, we, we, we could afford to stretch the, the run of a play, provided we did mainstream work that visitors would want to see. Yes. Yes, yes, but what a gamble! Every single—it's a gamble, of course, at, at our modest level of, in the amateur theatre, because we're, we, you know, we can't afford to lose money show after show after show. But in your world, there in York, that's 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 dozens and dozens of livelihoods that are dependent upon the Indeed. right choice. Um, the, the panto was the big earner. Uh -huh. um, even in my time, it was. The Panto produced 70% of the total really? box office receipts for the year. Did it really? Wow. Yep. Wow. We were lucky because the Theatre Royal is um, 
basically very late Victorian, four-tier cream cake of a, of a building. Really? So it's got stalls, dress circle, upper circle, gallery. Ah. Now, for most weekday repertory productions, the, I can't remember the exact numbers, but something like 350 seats, 400 seats in the bottom two shelves were adequate. Yeah. If you had a success, you would open another shelf. Uh-huh. Another shelf. And for Panto and Tours, you sold, we had 900 seats. So it became sudden, viable. They still are, aren't they? Pantomimes are still in, the, but there aren't many of these regional theatres still going. That's the, at least the common perception. Is, is the York? Well, is your theatre going? Well, yeah. But, um, I mean, pantomime in the wider sense of a Christmas show, it's still happily a tradition that audiences want to see something they can bring their children, grandchildren, whatever, to see. Mm -hmm. And that is key. And, and we had a very strong ethos that the pantomime must not be done on the cheap. It is actually, if you think about it, the most important single production in the year because there is a new audience, children, coming in. And we want that experience to be absolutely magical mm. so that in, they force their parents to take them to another pantomime, another year. Mm. And they, in mm. turn, will take their children and their grandchildren. Mm. So the seed gets sown. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the love, so, the love grows in a in a in a in a child's heart to becomes an adult uh, who who cannot do without theatre. So many you hear so many actors, no. don't you, who say I've it was because I went to X show and I saw it and I thought that's what I've got to do. That's what I've got to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, there's something about the the transport mm. from the here and now to something magical and yes. imaginary. Yes. Um, Yes. It's going back to that religious experience. Yes, it is. We're all part of this 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 magic circle. Yes, that makes the impossible possible. Yes. Oh, that's so true. That is so true. I can remember feeling that a bit. You know, you, you can you can if you're lucky, you get a sense of that in anything really. But during, funnily enough, during um, during uh, chorus of disapproval, there was one moment where. Um, I was off to the side of the stage, peering over the lighting plot, you know, the fictional lighting plot. Yes. That David has, has concocted to the great dismay of the technician. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wasn't saying anything, but it had obviously to be in character. And, 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 uh, John, John was acting in the center there. And I had this really, really strong sense that. And it's very difficult to describe, really, almost like an out-of-body experience. Really, and I thought, yes, this is, yes. this is quite, this is, this is humanity um, at its most imaginative. It's the most imaginative and rich human experience, really, that one can be lucky enough to be part of. Well, I suppose you know one doesn't want to compare human human experiences, but. For, for people, you know, for us who, for whatever reason of chemistry or background or environment or history, have grown up with a love of it, 
there is nothing more important, really, is there? Can I tell you one story from my first, possibly second Christmas working in professional theatre mm. back at the Oxford Playhouse? Mm. Mm. And it was quite early on in the performance. And a distraught mother brought an even more distraught young child out, absolutely in tears. And we thought, well, what's happened? Because the Wicked Witch hasn't appeared or whoever the baddie was. So what's it all about? And eventually the sobs subsided and speech, you know, comprehensible speech returned. Mummy, mummy, they've taken the glass away. The child was so used to the, the <gasps> distancing effect of the television. Oh, wow. But the reality oh, of wow. live theatre mm. had overwhelmed. Mm. 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 Yes, quite, 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 quite startling, isn't it? Quite startling. And it's so reassuring that it has survived. You know, Kira, Kira takes part in Playbox, as we mentioned earlier. And, and, and um, there's probably... Do you think that, let's finish with this, let's finish with a note of optimism about the future. Uh, let us imagine a world in which we actually do open up on the 21st of January, of June, rather, and, <laughs> God, Freudian slip, um, and everything goes as, as well as we hope. Um, and uh, the resilience of the, the bear pit looks as if it may well have survived because, you know, things are going to start opening up there and, 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 and second thoughts is, is, as we said. So let us finish with what would you, what, what hopes do you have for the next year or so of second thoughts and it's, uh, you know, it's life in theatre? One of the strengths of second thoughts has been new writing. And I'm hopeful that we will continue to present new writing by, well, ideally, our own members or at least local authors but in some way we can help in the birth of a new dramatic piece because I've, I find that a very exciting healing it, it just ticks all the boxes that that mm. experience mm. Mm. Um, I hope we will do a classic continue to do the classics because particularly doing them in the round which mm. looks likely mm. I think they are presented afresh without any sense of Victorian staging mm. Mm. you're relying on the talent of the actors and the words the words to create the picture mm. you don't need painted scenery yes in fact i hate painted scenery yes. yes so in the round you've got it all actually yes i agree you're, I agree completely. you're exposed and vulnerable yes but you've also got the power to entrance yes yes that's lovely so that's um lovely. i i think we've got a, an exciting prospect over the next couple of years if we can just regain our energy and the trouble yes. is i think we've all been de-energized by lockdown yes. we've yeah. we need to regain our nerve yes um collectively as audience 
Because yes. I think we've been beaten down by propaganda. Going out is wrong. Going out is dangerous. <laughs> yes. We've got to overcome that. Other people have... We're not a very sociable nation anyway, are we? As English people have not... <laughs> Well, uh, you mean we're the nation of the handshake rather than the hug? Indeed we are. Although, speaking gentleman to gentleman, I will. I am looking forward never to going back to the handshake because we gents tend to use the handshake as a weapon of war. Um, <laughs> but I know what you mean. Um, so, yes, no, that's a lovely picture. A lovely picture, a lovely picture. And a final plug then, because we are, we are. Uh, I think Second Thoughts uh, are are um, offering something to the One Act Play Festival, I think. And also there is something in August, is there not? That's right. Well, um, the long postponed, um, and I can't even think of the name of it. You have to cut this one in or prompt me. Shakespeare Review. No, 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 no. The One Act Play. Oh, I don't know what the name of that is. Is it Happy Days, is it? Uh, Happy Days, Happy Days, yes. But we have to edit this. Part. And uh, yes. uh, Angela's uh, play. Happy Days is going into the Bear Pits um, one-act one play festival for a couple of performances, which is great. And over the August Bank holiday weekend, we're doing the Shakespeare Review, um, two performances in the Playhouse and one in an amphitheatre at Great Arm. Yes. It'll probably pour with rain, but with a bit of luck, we will get a performance there. Well, it, it probably will. But as you say, who, but, but who cares? We always, we never go, we never leave the stage. Do you remember The Tempest? We did The Tempest at the back of Horscroft. You were involved in that, I think. And uh, and uh, it did indeed become a Tempest. And uh, <laughs> but uh, that we, it added well, to the I, joy I of theatre. I hate to say it, but that was the last show I dared act in. And I could never get that that speech out to the key one <laughs> um, and, and the more i thought about it the more the deeper the blockage you were lovely in that you were really really lovely in that you were very benign gentle and uh you know a, 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 a source of solace to the so overcome by stage fright as a result of oh, but i i'm i'm happy comparing a show or yes. talking to you but to be responsible for words written by somebody else, particularly if that somebody else happens to be Will Shakespeare. Yes. And we're playing in Hall's Croft. Yes. You know, yes. the house his daughter and son-in-law built. Yes. Yes. Ooh. I'm nervous now. <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. I've taken far too much of your time. Um, and uh, and it's lovely that your passion and enthusiasm for theatre is going to carry second thoughts forward uh, 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 next year and, and who knows what beyond.